It really is just Pee Wee's Big Adventure. It's all about the bike. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to the episode of Cinenation. My name is Brian Sparks. And here on Cinenation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. For October, we are diving into the genre known as body horror, a genre that we ourselves are learning a good bit about during the series. Now, I do not have Thomas with me today. Uh, but I do have a returning guest. He's been gone for a while, but I'm happy to have him back, and that's Mr. Jonathan Norris. Jonathan, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, man. Happy to be back on. Yeah, it's been a minute, uh, but today's episode officially makes you our animation anime correspondent, because uh, this is your second episode on the topic after Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, into the, Spider- into the Spider-Verse. So, Yeah. I'm happy to have you back, um, and I know he'll be able to guide me through some of the things we talk about today. Um, before we dive into today's movie, give you a little recap on the the body horror genre. Now, as I said, this month we're covering films that classify as body that people classify as body horror, and the general consensus of this genre is that it is a story where a character undergoes some sort of physical disruption of the body, and in most cases, it can be a disturbing and sometimes grotesque violation of the human form. And this could be some form of mutation, disease, zombification, or some other type of disruption like possession of some kind, like pod people in films like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And and usually this physical change can result in some form of psychological change. Like many, many of the genres we discussed, um, I mean, the films we, we've talked about of how like it affects them mentally after this physical thing happens, and they can almost become a different person uh, in a way. And like many of the genres we discussed in the show, this genre was inspired by literature in some way. Many people kind of credit Mary Shelley's Frankenstein as being the main influence. Um, so yeah, so the, the big kind of thing I want to hammer home with this genre, and we'll hammer home today, is we talked about how these characters can cause a character to doubt one's humanity, and in turn, they do whatever they can to feel human again. And sometimes this obsession with gaining one's humanity can result in a massive conflict uh, with themselves and with others in the stories. And um, and the main thing that body horror, also the main thing with body horror is its effects. And this is a little bit different because we're not having makeup and creature effects but the visuals are very apparent in this film um, and as memorable in some way as The Thing with John Carpenter's The Thing. Um, so yeah, uh, and some of you may not know this, as I said, I do not know a lot about anime. Uh, and Jonathan's here to help me give context to everything. Uh, so today's movie is Akira, or uh, Akira. Isn't that the correct way? I hear like two different pronunciations of this. And I'm sorry to people who are listening that are Akira fans. Or Akira fans. Yeah, I have only said Akira. I guess given that I'm an American, that's yeah. just the pronunciation I hear. I know the characters say Akira, and I understand that. So I think it depends on uh, who it's coming from, but I, I will accept Akira. Okay, cool. So I'm sorry, guys. Don't us if we have people who turn it off of that. Uh, yeah, so today's film is the 1988 Japanese anime film Akira. It is currently streaming on Hulu those that haven't seen it or need a refresher course in the film and it's probably also streaming on like prime or whatever i think it's also on tubi tv so if you want to go through commercials you can watch that there um so the film is set in a dystopian world of 2019 very present day uh in neo tokyo in 1988 tokyo was suddenly destroyed sparking unlike 
kind of out of nowhere, sparking a world war. And, and the film follows Shitara uh, Kaneda, the leader of a biker gang that cruises the neon streets of Neo Tokyo in 2019. His best friend is Tetsu Shima, who idolizes or who is friends with Kanada, who they've signed the biker gang together. Uh, uh, and Neo Tokyo is in the middle of civil unrest. Uh, so there are kind of several protests that occur that eventually will turn violent in the streets of Neo Tokyo. Uh, during one of these protests, Kanada and his gang decide to attack a rival gang, which results in Tetsuo crashing his motorcycle and coming in contact with Takashi, a child that has some mystical or magical abilities. Uh, and because of this interaction, uh, Tatsuo begins gaining powers that he does not truly understand. And so as his mental and physical state is altered... He goes out in search of the, for the legendary Akira, a being that caused the initial destruction of Tokyo in 1988. And while this is happening, Kaneda seeks out his seeks out to save his friend Tatsuo, uh, along with the help of of key uh, activists that is part of the resistance movement in Neo Tokyo. I apologize if I butchered many of those names. Um, okay, so can I can I jump in on the the pronunciation corrections? Correct me. So, cor- correct me. Correct okay, me. So everything. Let's stick with. As I stem, as I gave like different versions I, I of heard each them one, gradually kind of evolve, which was entertaining yeah, to hear. Change. So let's stick with yes. Tetsuo, Kanida, and K. Kanida. Okay. K, Kanida, Tetsuo. Okay. I figured you would have got it considering how frequently they shout each other's names at each other when they finally face off, you know? I, I, I just <laughs> lost all credibility with the anime crowd. That's all I got to say. And I apologize. Uh, which that leads me to this next thing with our initial thoughts on this film. Uh, so Jonathan, why did you pick this film? Uh, so yeah, you mentioned you were doing body horror. I remember pitching it, you know, me being the, the anime animation geek that I am. I'm, I I think we know now that Mm -hmm. I'm usually the one in the back quietly, you know, pulling for an animated film, uh, to get featured on the show. So, yeah. Uh, I like this one in the sense of like you had mentioned the body horror and I'm like I've seen it on some body horror list and like it's in that kind of realm of you know is it is it not because a lot of it does kind of come toward the later half of the film but I think for all of like the tropes and uh, things that you were telling me about body horror like it because you were kind of Mm -hmm. listing the bullet points of like what constitutes a body horror film like it does kind of hit all of those things so uh, I think it's yeah. worth putting in, even if it's not necessarily, you know, throughout the film the way it is for the thing. Uh, I think it still hits those kind of hallmarks of the genre very well. No, I, I agree completely. That was one when kind of researching it. It was because the body horror genre, when kind of picking a list for it, was very difficult. It was our most difficult list to kind of sift through and kind of decide what is a body horror and what is not, because some people just kind of think the thing and, and the Cronenberg films are the ones that fit into that but don't really include things like invasion of the body snatchers. But as I kind of say, it's like if a body is being taken over in some way by some kind of either mutation or disease or something, or even a pod person, uh, it's considered body horror in my opinion. And I think with, with Akira here, it's like, it has that, it has a character who um, changes in some way in a physical form. And and there's, it, it affects him mentally throughout the film. Um, and then finally in the kind of the, the, the ending, the final act, you see it to a point, I mean, it's horrific and we'll talk about it more later, but like, it's horrific more so than most horror films would be horrific. I think I read someone talk about how like things like that can be more horrifying if a Cronenberg film, some, in some case, which is not like always bloody, but it's just still kind of horrific in some way 
can be more horrific than a slasher film. And I think this ending of the movie and kind of what happens, and we'll kind of we'll spoil it for people that haven't seen it. Sorry, sorry, sorry if you haven't seen it. Um, but it, it does get horrific, and it is it is violent in some way. It's just a very different type um, of violence. So, so what is your history with this movie? Because you picked it, because you really I know you really like it. Um, so what's your sure. history with? So I've had the pleasure or displeasure, depending on how you interpret this film, of seeing it. I want to say three times. <laughs> First time was mm-hmm. it was freshman year of college. Uh, me and some friends had snuck into the Blunt Hall of uh, Alabama. It was it's just like uh-huh. kind of like a um, enrichment kind of group, but they have their own kind of living room space to watch movies and play games. And me and my friends who weren't in the program at all, snuck in there, basically took over the living space, turned the lights out and watched Akira for the first time. And seeing it like that early, like your freshman year of college, like it, like my experience with anime at that point wasn't much beyond Dragon Ball Z, Gundam, and, you know, a few Miyazaki films. And this is one of those... Like, usually if someone says, like, I want to watch a non-Miyazaki film, because I generally kind of put, like, Miyazaki is kind of worthy of, like, his own kind of subgenre, because he has his own styles and tropes and cliches, and his style is different enough that I think he's done enough work to warrant that. And then there's, like, the Mm non-Miyazaki films. And, like, this is, Akira is usually, like, the first kind of cult classic, like, you should watch this. It's on every kind of top anime list, and my friends wanted to see it. So we all watched it together. And I just remember like all sitting there at the, after that ending of like trying to just wrap my head around what I watched. Cause like there's certain segments you can kind of get of like the dystopia and kind of this relationship of like the power that Tetsuo is getting and trying to kind of control it, but also like hit understanding how it affects his relationship with Kanida, but also this other faction of like the military and science community is trying to wrap their heads around what Akira is, what does it mean to have these abilities and how can we use it to either protect or weaponize it? So there's those themes that are, I think are very understandable, but it hits a level too toward the ending of like, I don't know what happened. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. seeing it and then I saw it again a few years later and then I recently about a month or so ago, I saw it at the Austin Film Society Cinema. But yeah, so I've seen it three times. So I've, been able to kind of see the benefit of seeing a film at different ages and how like your own perspective changes as you get older i've been able to kind of wrap and unravel it a bit more so that's really nice so i'm interested Mm -hmm. to kind of compare my experience of seeing it multiple times and your experience of seeing it the first time. the first time the first time yes this is what i was saying about my mispronunciation of things uh this is my first time seeing it was this week and this is one that has escaped me as as several anime films have and i hope after after watching this film the journey continues is what i will say um so yeah i really enjoyed this film uh joy might be the the best word for some people with this film uh but is a visually stunning movie and you can kind of just see it's it's one that you just kind of become consumed by in some way and with this visuals and kind of you're kind of um hypnotized by it i wanted to say too it's it has one of the most like diverse color palettes i've seen especially for an animated film yeah like i think you're kind of saying too it's 
the visuals are so kind of awe-inspiring and overwhelming you can almost miss the meaning of the film because like you're just taking in so much of the animation and the art style itself but yeah it's like you could dedicate one watching experience to just watching the animation itself and and like you would still be satisfied with it yeah and that was kind of my thing this time as i told you beforehand this is one of those films where i'm like i wish i had time to go back and do a second watch uh really quickly to kind of kind of capture everything uh, and again, I know some people who might be finding this be like, how dare you talk about this movie? You're not a fan of it. And I am a fan of it now. Um, and again, I said, I'm learning the thing about the show sometimes with Thomas. I mean, when we do this, like it's there to kind of expand our horizons in some way. And and for me with this episode, it's very much that. Um, so as I said, I'm, I'm learning through this movie or, or learning a, a lot about this medium because I think anime and animation are not, some might say as a genre, but I think it's just a, a way to tell a story. Um, and, and this is one that I think is is incredibly told um, in terms of its visuals, in terms of just like what it's striving for. And you, and you brought up some very interesting themes that I do want to discuss uh, when we get into kind of favorite scenes, because that's very much a part of this film. And also not just in this film, but also in terms of Japanese culture uh, with some of the themes you discussed um, about technology and sometimes the cynicism behind it of like, should we actually use this thing that we have created um, and is this a too much power for one person? So yeah, so let's get into kind of the history of how this film kind of got into production and kind of moved forward in the development process. And I read a lot of stuff, watched a lot of video essays. There's one good video essay that I'm kind of taking some a lot of stuff from, uh, from Super Eye Patch Wolf's video, The Impact of Akira, the film that changed everything. Um, so during the 1980s, the anime genre in Japan was booming, and today many fans of the genre call it the golden age of anime. And the main reason was because for the first time since World War II, Japan was having a massive uptick in its economy during the 1980s. And this resulted in creating a kind of stable middle class within Japan, which meant more people had disposable income to either consume or create and invest in entertainment. Uh, this resulted in an influx of production for anime feature films in Japan. Uh, to look at kind of the comparison, in, 19, in the 1970s, the entire decade, only 49 anime films, feature anime films were created, but in the 1980s, it shot to over 200 anime films in the decade. Uh, from an artistic perspective, there was a good mix of young and old talent that were coming together to tell these stories, providing an inter- interesting perspective on the world. And these films were able to capture the past, present, and future of Japan and its culture and kind of anime as a whole. And when researching it, it, it almost reminds me a little bit of the new Hollywood era of the 60s and 70s uh, in, in America when there was this shift that was being made of uh, was being made and how it was being made. And you're seeing a bunch of these films being made that were constantly kind of pushing the boundaries of what the medium could do. And that's what I think was happening in the eighties in the anime genre in Japan. And the best, the best example of all this would be studio Ghibli, which produces the works or produced the works of, uh, of Miyazaki. And this is a company again, that I didn't realize was created in the middle of all this in 1985 uh, because of the success of several of their films. So it, this kind of economic uh, uptick led to this massive production of these films and kind of this golden era of anime. And so it was during this time that future writer-director 
Katsuhiro Otomo began working within the anime world. Uh, his first work in anime was in 1982 when he did character designs for the film Harmageddon uh, Ginma Wars. Ginma Wars, I apologize. Uh, right before this, uh, he had been asked by Kodanasha, a Japanese publishing company that created uh, manga magazines to create a series for their new magazine, Young Magazine, very memorable title young magazine uh this is in 1982 and otomo was only 28 years old but he had been working in the manga world since the 1970s publishing his first story in 1973 uh, i think it was like 19 years old uh when that happened uh otomo said that when he, when he was raised in a very rural area in japan so the thing he mostly did was read a lot of manga it was also during his childhood that he had dreams of being a manga artist but also a film director he was busy being an artist with, with, in the manga world and writing short stories for magazines in the 70s and 80s. Finally, he accepted uh, Kanasha's offer to write a series for the magazine, and Otomo, expe- Otomo expected only to be 10 chapters and to not be a big success in any way. However, this would eventually become Akira, a series that would run for eight years, becoming a massive success in Japan. After the manga was released and was beginning to have a successful run in Japan, Otomo received an offer to turn the popular series into a film. He said it was, he did, he never had any intentions to, to, to make that Akira into a film, but the offer intrigued him, but he said he would only do it if he received complete creative control on the project, because it seems he had a bad experience as the character design, as character designer on uh, Harmageddon. Uh, these terms were agreed upon uh, because this was such a popular series. The film was require a big budget and due to this the akira committee was formed and this was an investor producing entity that consisted of seven major japanese companies including the publishing company that produced akira and the laser disc corporation of all things uh came together to fund uh akira which would end up being as we'll find out later at this point the most expensive anime film uh ever until it was surpassed a year later um, and so that's how we get into production of Akira in the late 1980s. So Jonathan, give me one of your favorite scenes within this oh, movie. Man. Um, first for me off the, the bat, uh, the opening like biker gang scene, they have everything they set, like the hyper detail of like the, the, um, the jukebox with all the disc and yes. the bike that yes. Kanida has. I mean, I love that the bike is so iconic and I'm like that movie poster. I'm like, the bike yeah. isn't that big to me. It's it, not, I, mean, yeah, it's not, I think I it's thinking, funny. I was thinking, and I'm like, it's, in, like, it's in the movie. It's yeah, in the movie. Like, Kanida, but yeah. to me is not really that big of a focus, at least not for me, but I love mm-hmm. that it's such an iconic poster. But going back to this scene, uh, the bike gang scene, like the light trails when the bikes zoom by. Um, oh, it's yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. That scene of Kanida when he's like kind of like breaking on the the highway when you see that kind of side angle of him mm-hmm. on the highway has yeah. been repeated so much throughout animation. Like there's a yeah. whole video from like when that scene was shot to like <laughs> 2020. Like people are still like imitating and taking that shot. Like it's yeah. such an iconic thing to have but it really kind of one's like sets a tone for like the violence that this film is going to go into you get a little hints of like this kind of power struggle or dynamic between kanida and tetsuo you get like really good setting and character information throughout like you get the whole dystopia of where like neo tokyo is at this time that is like i could watch the opening scene to that all the time 
um, it's beautifully done. Like the way they animate kind of light within like a night scene. Yeah. I mean, it just sets such a cool mood, even though like it's such a horrible world of like, well, like it's, it's just interesting to me, like to make something feel so immersive. That's also so disastrous to be in. Uh, it's just fascinating to how they pull that off. Yeah. It really captures like just a dystopian world, a city, a dystopian city world in some, in some way. And yeah, the lighting of this movie, which is so interesting to say in terms of animation for some people, but like the lighting of this movie is incredible uh, of how they light streets and how they use neon and how it's, um, it's against the kind of detailed lights that you see. I, again, I think of like the club, the, 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 uh, the, the bar scene they come into at the beginning of just the detail of all the, the different lights and the people kind of in corners and, and kind of the, the kind of shadowy areas. Um, they're there. Yeah. It's like the composition of everything in this film, I think is just amazing. Um, yeah. To go with your thing about the, about the, uh, the, the motorcycle sliding. I think I read that it was the most copied, shot in all of animation by and i don't know if that, there's a metric for that but i think it's just more just it's assumed yep you steal from akira yeah it's yeah so the visuals of this movie i think hit me the most and really kind of drew me in because it is art it, it looks like art it feels like art um and you can tell too again with this visual style you can tell that that being an anime it still takes from other films in the live action world like you have it feels like Blade Runner in spots in terms of the, the, the city, the cityscape of the area, or it, um, it has noir like qualities with the lighting. And there's even kind of moments of like Kubrick and things. Like I think of kind of the, the I mean, the clown gang is basically feels like out of a clockwork oh, orange yeah. in a way, if it was in, if it was in Neo Tokyo, like it's, there's very much these, these kind of references, uh, within cinema or from cinema within this film. And, that that's what I think really kind of grabbed me as well at first. So that's the, that's the number one thing is the visuals of this movie. But I, I really, I do like what they do with the relationship of Tetsuo and, and Kaneda's kind of relationship um, as these two friends, because it feels like, and maybe I'm wrong, but it all, it feels like, cause Kaneda's kind of the, uh, the leader of the gang and Tetsuo is kind of like the second in command, but definitely feels like he's in the shadow of Kanita the entire time. It's, 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 I mean, it's the conflict of the bike is that he wants his bike is the thing. He's, he's in it. When the first time you see Tetsuo, he's like sitting in his bike and Kanita's bike outside the bar. And he's like, basically telling him like, Oh, you can't handle this. You can't handle this bike. This is not for you. And that's just this like small little conflict amongst friends that like, kind of becomes a big thing at the end like if i would get to the third act of the movie it's all um, he just wanted to ride connie does bike you know this whole film could have been resolved yeah. <laughs> but, we would uh, not have a second explosion in neo tokyo <laughs> that could that ruins the 2020 olympics <laughs> by the way um that, 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 that these two friends just to let them rise by. I, I think this is good too. You bring up a really kind of interesting point. I want to touch on a little bit on like the, this friendship slash arch rival dynamic uh, between two male protagonists, which is, I think one of the biggest tropes of like, especially shonen anime and like by shonen is Japanese for a young man. So it's anime and animation uh -huh. that is kind of made with the, for the audience of young males. 
And one of the, like, there's been so many tropes dissected within Shonen anime itself. And one of them is, I, at least for me, that's really kind of entertaining to see how it gets repeated and kind of redone. Uh, this dual protagonist kind of like friend slash rival dynamic where like sometimes they feel like friends, but sometimes I think they really want to kill each other. So like, I don't know how to really feel. <laughs> But yeah, it's yeah, such yeah. a repeated thing of like, you know, usually there's a dichotomy of like, usually there's kind of a power struggle of like one person is on like a super high level and the other person's like, it's almost this kind of like alpha beta relationship of like the, this like trying to kind of topple the other one kind of deal. And I find yeah. that so fascinating to kind of get repeated because you see it, Goku and Vegeta from Dragon Ball Z have that relationship. Midoriya and Bakugo have this dynamic in My Hero Academia so th this kind of setup of like a power dynamic and like they're kind of rivals but then they kind of like become friends but then there's like an arc where like they get to be rivals again like just the way we play with that uh it was interesting to see this trope done in like a movie format because i'm used to seeing it in a show where it kind of evolves and we dive into layers and this one was interesting because to me like it felt like I it was a relationship i wanted to see explored more because there were times where yeah. it was so tense between the two and like I didn't necessarily understand why it was that way. I mean, if this was really just like, you know, like we joked about like all about the bike, then like it feels like this tension's a little unwarranted. <laughs> but, you know, and we get a flashback scene of how they met, but I, I kind of want to see that. And I'm sure that the, I'm sure the manga may touch on some other things too. I haven't had the time or really sought out to read it, but that was kind of one thing that you brought up that I wanted to touch on, of like this kind of relationship power dynamic between two male protagonists. Yeah. In anime. I mean, it really is, it really is just Pee-wee's big adventure. It's all about the bike. <laughs> like, but yeah, so to dive into, well, also to, I like, again, like the stuff with Tetsuo, why I think it's just, it's very fascinating and, we, and it's kind of touched in the body horror genre is again we you kind of mentioned their relationship how they met is they're both orphans mm -hmm. basically and they grew up together and became friends and again sometimes as you grow up like the people you grew up you, you met when you're younger you might be friends with as you're older and i feel like that could be something here with these two um and when when tetsuo gets in this accident kind of starts developing these powers like while well, i like i like that his journey of he he definitely captures what happens in a body horror a body horror genre of what happens the character becomes infected or um mutated in some way or just their physical body is disrupted is that it affects them mentally and he's there's a great scene uh with him and his girlfriend and it's when he's talking about how they like they've met something mess with they mess with his head in some way like he's feeling some sort of changes and he's just a guy who like i think wants to have like a life with his girlfriend and, and hang with his friends and all of a sudden this thing has happened to him that he can't really explain or control and it becomes it, it, it he and he's trying to fight to be human and in turn that thing be, he becomes obsessed over with and it's all about him trying to control his powers to feel kind of regular and, and kind of human again and so that that and what happens in these kind of movies that you these characters say in the fly or even the thing to some extent with uh, wilford brimley's character is they become so obsessed with this one thing they lose their humanity in the process 
And that's what happens with Tetsuo is the whole idea of that I need to go find Akira and he will kind of help me with these powers and kind of fix me and make me help me control everything. And this kind of like in turn, he becomes this almost destructive force in the process. And he turns his back on everyone around him. There's a great scene in the bar after he goes back to the bar and he kills the bartender and the other two guys from the biker gang show up and he's just completely transformed. And like, they're just like, are you Tetsuo or are you someone else? Because we don't fully know is that he's, he's become um, consumed by whatever this thing is. This energy is that's, that's taken over. And one thing I understand I was reading up on, I was talking about how like the big reason why is because the whole idea is that you had the three other kids that are also have the same kind of telekinetic or, or uh, psychic abilities uh, or mystical abilities or whatever you want to say um, is that they were kind of, they were that way and kind of the quote unquote good because they were untouched by the kind of darkness of the world. So they always just stayed pure. But the thing about Tetsuo is that he had seen a bunch of shit and gone through a bunch of shit. And that's why he reacts this way um, to this, these kind of abilities that he gains. And that's what I want to go into with that about the abilities of like, you mentioned about the themes of like the technology aspect. And if you gain this this, this information or this, this kind of ability, is it right to use or not use? And I think what kind of run the permeates kind of Japanese cinema, especially in this time, kind of in the eighties, now that we're kind of X amount of years outside world war two is everyone's reevaluating world war two, specifically the ending with, with the, uh, the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And that's very apparent in this film is that that is being discussed 40 years later I mean, the opening of the shot, opening of the movie is a, is a nuclear bomb going off, basically, the, the image of it. It's not actually that, but it looks like that. And that kind of runs throughout the movie. Yeah. And, you know, it's also like the society trying to, one, pick itself up after a disastrous event like that. And, like, you see so much of, like, different yeah. s- parts of society are trying to figure it out. Like, you know, you have a scene of, like, a cult leader and they're, like, talking about, the, like, the second coming of Akira and, like, you know, the end is nigh kind of thing. And then, like, you have the military that's trying to understand this power and is it something we can even control? You have the science community that's trying to just wrap their heads around it. Like, there's not really an intent to weaponize it per se, but just what what does it mean to have this power? And kind of the, the slippery slope of the progressing science of, you know, the scientists are letting Tetsuo advance to a stage where, like, no one can control him, but it's all, you know, for the name of yeah. science of trying to understand it because they've never had a subject at this stage before. Like so, him, you know, yeah, there, like there's him this before. conflict, yeah, yeah. there's this relationship I think is interesting between military and science where like, they have to work together because, you know, so yeah. much of their fields overlap, but there's a difference in the intent of what each one is trying to do. And I, I love this kind of struggle of what we're trying to kind of do with it because both sides are debatably flawed. You know, one is wanting to go too far. One may not have the best of intentions for the individual that's infected or invaded by this entity or external force or however we're choosing to describe it. That's one of my favorite kind of things to talk and debate about with this film. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, to just kind of go, that goes to your point of like the technology of it and everything and kind of, you know, the slippery yeah. slope of 
really any technology for that matter. And some people I read too to kind of go with that too. It's like I, I we mentioned earlier how Japan's going to this kind of like influx of 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 money and the economy and everything, and and first time since World War II that we're seeing some sort of like massive progress in the country. And some people are some I read some people online talk about how like it's Akira is a comment on uh japan like losing its identity with this influx of money and becoming something else it's not and like what it's like to like what ha- what basically the things you're forgetting along the process like they talk about how like all the adults are kind of mean to all the kids and it's the old guard looking down on the new guard and there's just this massive conflict with all of them um but to get into like kind of also more of the body horror stuff we talked about the kind of hum- like the char- tetsuo is a character who is fighting to become human and turn it it goes to a whole kind of a whole dark path but in terms of the grotesque nature of certain things uh you have his visions which are in some cases batshit crazy uh with kind of the things that happen but then it just goes to this this kind of uh disturbing finale basically when he becomes consumed by his powers because he can't control them anymore because they're so um, massive that he can't kind of uh, take hold of them. And he essentially, I mean, he beca- I mean, I don't know how to describe it. He becomes this huge monster baby with like skin and, and muscles and all these things and kind of just t- veins. It's a, it's a, it's, it's so, so deep. The animation is so detailed um, throughout the entire movie, but especially in this moment. And like, it's, it's like he ends up killing his girlfriend in the process, like ends up like essentially smothering her to death. Uh, Kaneda kind of gets trapped up in it uh, as well. Like it's, it's like he, this kind of power that he now has. And that's when, and that's when you see that humanity come back is that once he's realized how far he has gone, that's when he actually, cause he's turned his back on, on, on his best friend and then when he realizes what's happened, he's like, oh, help me, is kind of the thing. And I think that's it's that's usually what happens in body horror is that in those this character's kind of last moments in some way or kind of the 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 climax of when they fully become something. That's when their their last shred of humanity kind of comes back in uh and either begs for help or begs mm-hmm. to end it in a way. Um, so yeah, what, what are some other scenes though you have? I wanted to kind of get into the, the dream sequence a l- little bit, but not just the visuals, but also the score during that sequence of like the way it plays with, yeah. like, even throughout really just all of the film, really like the way it kind of plays with even some like sounds that I don't think would be alarming, but they're played up in a way of like, I remember specifically in the dream sequence, like you get this like, butum butum. But like, but like the way it's played, mm-hmm. and like the other kind of instruments that are at play, like it, like that sound by itself isn't terrifying. But like the way it's just kind of done, like I can't really, I don't know enough about sound to really break down the detail of it. But it just has such a haunting quality to it, even though like they're seemingly kind of innocent sounds. Because in this scene, like mm-hmm. these, this is their the kids like first trying to contact with him, and man like i mean just the way it just kind of messes with your head on like what's real and what isn't like is this tetsuo's power doing this or is are and then yeah. you realize oh there are other kind of characters in play here uh and i find that yeah, interesting they're like the way they way, introduce yeah. the kids as well as after the tetsuo steps on the glass and they see the blood 
and now these characters have yeah. all this expression of horror i was like they see someone bleeding i like the way that like rather than yeah. just giving you the characters talking to him like you realize oh like these are other people and, like you you get a sense of innocence without just seeing the kid's face i love mm-hmm. the way that they kind of portray that because you know I, I find it funny that like they're they're okay with portraying themselves as cars and as big teddy bears but they see this blood and like suddenly like it just breaks them out of their own illusion of like they realize oh like this is a real person like it almost humanizes them because they're kind of the nightmare in this in this scene so i love how they did that yeah no I, the, the, the tetsuo's dream is like why i put like one of my just the way one of my favorite scenes is just the way they kind of it's 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 a fever dream in a way of what he experiences in this moment um, and again, that results into the whole, like, who am I? Like, what do they do to me? Uh, type thing. And, and almost like it becomes very untrustworthy of, uh, and with, with other people because of these things that happen to them. I'm curious, what other scenes do you have aside from the opening and the dream sequence? What are some of yours? Yeah, I mean, opening, I, mean I, I mean, I also love the kind of chase sequence. I mean, it's the whole, like, the whole gang motorcycle, like, chase scene they have. Um when uh one of the children when 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 tetsuo kind of comes in contact with the other child um and where he kind of gains those powers it's again lighting of it is is amazing because it's like it's the child and whoever this adult is running through kind of the streets of neo tokyo being chased um by the military or by the government in some way and it's it's just a, a great way to introduce us to this kind of world that we're about to hop into at least the world of the kind of this this mystical world in a way some of the general stuff i like the, the or a colonel or whatever his position is yeah the colonel the, i mean it's that great scene where he basically form, forms a whole coup <laughs> like just out of nowhere i love it i was actually gonna bring that like... up because i just love the fact that like he's getting fired and it's like it's just funny because like here is like the world about to end and like we're concerned with like this guy is concerned with firing this man who's been trying to like resolve this entire issue from the beginning and it's like no like no shoot him shoot him no no don't shoot me shoot him he just flips the script out of nowhere like that was the most boss yeah he's like nah it's like nah i'm not getting fired shoot him (laughs) what don't shoot me shoot him and then it's just like guys who you gonna listen to you gonna listen to me or people like him this place is corrupt let's go do this like we got we got to contain right. this thing. And, and i love how it uses that to kind of comment on like the absurdity of observing a rule or a law and like a time of such a massive crisis like you're concerned with like firing this one person like like what what are we doing here like what what are you gonna even if you fired him like what's your next move like you don't know what you're even doing you gotta get to you gotta, you gotta get two two different sides of the spectrum in the worst way does that make sense it's like He's like, yeah, we're in the middle of this. We should fire, just like fire him. And this guy's like, nah, I'm just going to do a whole coup and like take over. Like everyone makes a bad decision in this moment because they like, uh, they want to be able to stop this thing. And no one, and, and because it's like, they, they both show the bad, like the, the bad sides of like military and government in this, in this scene, basically. But we'll move on to onset life. Uh, so like I said, well, it is an animated film, so there's not really an onset uh for this but there is an interesting kind of production behind this film um this film was animated and was known as ones and twos and for those to get that's very technical which means that 
the shots in the film are usually either 12 frames or 12 images per second or 24 frames per second. If they're ones, that means it's 24 frames. If they're twos, they're 12 frames. And in a basic film, live action is 24 frames per second. So this kind of allowed Akira to have an incredibly smooth look, which was kind of rivaling what was being done in America at the time with, by studios like Disney. Um, one of the big thing, one of the big things they did for Akira was the dialogue was pre-recorded before the animation was done. Now, this is a common practice in America because it allows animators to work off the dialogue that's recorded by the actors, but this was the first time this had ever been done in anime, apparently, and still is like rarely done today. I, I guess they just create the animation first and then record most of the dialogue after the fact. Um, the film also used CGI in specific moments in the film, mostly for falling objects, backgrounds, lighting, lens flare. Um, one reason why there was so much detail was they wanted to fully showcase the scope of a futuristic Tokyo, which had not really been done in any kind of live action films or anime films up to this point. Um, as I said, by the end of the animation, uh, Akira would be the most expensive anime film, uh, costing... There's been some, there's weird numbers going around. So costing somewhere between, basically costing 700 million yen, which is about $5.5 million in the US. Some have said it's like $11 million. I'm not entirely sure. Either way, uh, it would be surpassed a year later uh, by Studio Ghibli's uh, Kiki's Delivery Service. So that's how it kind of goes about and kind of creating the look and vibe of this movie and into the aftermaths. The film, they had a teaser trailer that came out in 87 because this movie was very hyped up because of the manga series. Um, the film, the, the, the production the animation kind of wrapped somewhere in 88 and the film ended up being released in Japan in July 16th, 1988, where it was met with a uh, critical praise and would become the sixth highest grossing film of the year in Japan when it was released. Um, also, it must be said here that the manga Akira that Otomo had created was still going on and had yet to finish. Uh, even though he was adapting it for a movie, uh, the, the manga series would not finish up until 1990. Otomo would later say that creating the movie while he was still figuring out the story for the manga was the worst possible idea. He still feels that he cut out too much of the original story when making the actual film. But the big thing in terms of the aftermath that happened was that uh, Akira had this massive cultural impact on the Western world. Uh, it would finally be released a year later in America on December 25th, 1989, where it would only gross a million dollars, it seems, in its run, but would essentially become a cult classic with audiences doing well on kind of home video and everything. Many people credit the rise of anime's popularity in America due to Akira's success with people. So that's when you get Dragon Ball Z and kind of this kind of other kind of things like perfect blue or ghost in the shell kind of break over into American culture in the nineties. Um, it showed American storytellers. Also the animation was not just tied to family films, but could be for adults as well being kind of violent. And I think in the eighties anime was very sexualized in some way. And these kind of grown up stories within animation. Um, however, some, some American critics would uh, criticize it for its violence and you have to kind of think about the context of the era because it was the same year The Little Mermaid came out, which was what animation was known for. And here's this movie about this guy who becomes this grotesque, horrific thing at the end with violence and, and very, it is very hyper-violent in moments. 
that was not an animation at this point in the 80s. It was for kids and, and Care Bears and mermaids. The film would also give massive inspiration to manga artists and anime storytellers, resulting in a plethora of popular stories that came after Akira's release. Also, the film would go on to re- influence uh, Hollywood as well, specifically in kind of uh, the live action world, like The Matrix, Kill Bill, The Dark Knight. Like when watching kind of Akira and thinking about the Batman's motorcycle in The Dark Knight, it feels very reminiscent of 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 shots and kind of the the makeup of the of the motorcycle the matrix also too i read they talked about how like the bullet timing uh in the matrix was actually inspired by akira because you have these moments where like uh where tetsuo stops bullets at some point or stops things from blowing up in front of him uh and they kind of use and it will just like you'll see the bullet just like stop midair they so they kind of are inspired by that when doing the bullet timing for the matrix and today and is seen by many as one of the greatest anime films of all time, one of the greatest sci-fi films of all time, and kind of really pushed the boundaries on what you can do in anime. So that leads us to what worked about this film, Jonathan. So yeah, the the art style, the animation, the color palette of everything, uh, its use of Music in really tense moments, especially, I, I find just really well done. Uh, the uh, the fact that for me it was able to kind of touch on so much social commentary for like one film, I, I think was really interesting. Of like getting here's a society in utter shambles. I mean, the education system is completely broken, and uh, governments are trying to figure out what to do and what not to do. It's this complicated relationship mm-hmm. between government, military, and science. I mean, to be able... And again, like you kind of touched on with the history of it, of it kind of showed that you can use this medium of animation to tell more mature stories and, you know, just even just social commentary in general. And I don't think people had really thought of it as using a medium of that and like what you can kind of do with it. Because... This film, as a as a live action, I mean, would I, I would be very skeptical of just because of, I get hits on just so many different things, and I mean, how you would kind of yeah. adapt certain things from it, or if you would go to the extent that this movie does in certain scenes, uh, they were really able to leverage uh, the medium to kind of capture like how serious of a story they really wanted to tell, uh, and I think that goes a lot to Atomo's original like writing vision and the fact that he was. adamant on being in like kind of complete control of the execution of it as well yeah in terms of commentary one thing i I mentioned a little bit like again talking about it's at the tail end of the 80s and they're commenting on what's happening in japanese culture at this time and again it was like this and this is happening in america with kind of the rise of the yuppies and kind of the uh, economic boom that was occurring it was kind of it was happening in japan as well and you were seeing these wealthy people kind of replace or basically moving on and like leaving the poor people to fend for themselves and that's kind of what's like it's happening in in this film with the with again the civil unrest and the protest against the government against the military um and kind of like old like these kind of locations or whatever and you also have the backdrop of the olympics coming in as well to like be this not it's not really talked about in this way but like it's this main kind of source of income for the city and it's like kind of pushing it's like because it's being built on like old tokyo i think in the old city or whatever 
So it's like it's taking away their history to build this Olympic stadium, basically. Um, so yeah. So what did anything not work in this movie? Uh, for me, <clears throat> I think the biggest thing, and I think too, especially when you reevaluate this film, I would say maybe the lack of fem- like developing the female characters, which I think has kind of been yeah, that's fair. Uh, problematic for for anime for a bit but again like a little bit of like touching mm-hmm. back on like what i was saying about the shonen anime genre of like that's another kind of trope that happens where there are female characters that feel like they're just simply there for romantic interests they're there to motivate the protagonist mm-hmm. in like a time of crisis and um yeah you know th- there just feels like for the the couple of female characters we have i don't necessarily like if they were kind of removed, like would I miss anything from the story itself? I thought and the same that thing. Was, I, I thought you know, the same especially thing. like rewatching it kind of multiple times and like just in mm-hmm. the culture we're in now of like really developing female characters more especially, it, it doesn't that part does not age very well for it. In reality, you you could tell this story not from the friendship because this is this is told in many eighties body horror movies not told from the friendship angle, which is what this is, but it could be told from the love interest. Like the, like it's, it's her story. It's like, it's the fly. It's Cronenberg's the fly with Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum, where it's like at the core is this love story that's being torn apart by, um, this, this, this physical disruption, this mental disruption. And in this one, it's mostly just the friendship, which is fine. Uh, but in turn, it damn plays, it damn plays this, these other characters that could be more important in the film. Um, so I agree with you on that. I don't have anything for all the universe cast. Cause it's pretty much it's anime film. We got film facts real quick. So the movie consists movie consists of 2,212 shots and 160,000 single cell like pictures, which was two, two to three times more than usual using 327 different colors over 300 colors another record in amh film uh 50 of which were exclusively created for the film itself the reason for this statistic is that most of it takes place at night a saying that is traditionally avoided by animators because of the increased color requirements so that's why there's so much color in this movie uh the music for the film was completed before any of the composers saw a frame of the film or read the script watched or read how they like again you talked about the music earlier in favorite scenes and how they combine like 80 synth with like traditional like Japanese music in some way. It's interesting mix of these two kind of uh, two kind of sounds basically. And then uh, the last thing, uh, small tidbit, the computer sounds, which are heard during Tetsu's body scan are the same computer sounds used in alien. Oh, wow. That's really cool. That's yeah. And so an alien people, some people uh, like put in the body horror category. Some people don't. It's an interesting kind of, uh there is there is physical disruption at some point in the movie um so it's kind of again there's that kind of again this movie's kind of really reaching into other other pieces of cinema and pulling it putting it in the film um okay honest story questions okay so you're talking about the laser where's he with the laser gun i don't know yeah it it felt (laughs) kind of like i really noticed it on my third watch does he that well does he that what what what, is it you're talking about when it's it's with the stadium is that the one you're talking about before they get to the stadium because there's a point where they're kind of fighting on like top of rubble um before they get there okay but it's the laser rifle that he gets it's like got this battery pack to it but it felt because 
you know, to this point, like he doesn't really have a relationship with the the corporal or um, the military guy. I'm blanking on him right now, but right, like that's who he probably would have gotten that from. Mm-hmm. But he just kind of has it. I it's it's a small, I guess, logical like, continuity kind of thing, but still, like you know, it's it's a big part because like it puts him on even level with Tetsuo at that point. It's the only thing he really has to fight him with. Mm-hmm. And I, I find it interesting that he is the kind of the one when like, you know, why I, I, I don't know. I guess for me, like it's missing a scene of like maybe the corporal and Kanida have this scene of like you are the only one who knows him who can get close enough to use this on him. Um that that kind yeah. of would have been my approach with it, but I don't know. Like is that something that got cut? Um because to me, otherwise, like the laser rifle for him to have it doesn't make any sense for me. Yeah, I don't know. Well, that will lead to our, the the big question: What happens at the end of the movie? Mm. Okay, so this is interesting because you've seen it once, and I've seen it uh, now three. And since this, and I had I had to I, and I had to I had to rewind the ending. By the way, I had oh, to rewind yeah. the ending to watch it again. For sure. I, I kind of curious. Yeah. I I kind of want to hear your version first just because like i'm always interested in like when people watch this for the first time how do they interpret it because it's it's a really like it's a scene that sits with you for a lot it's an ending i still think about to this day sometimes so i kind of want to hear your version first and then i want to kind of maybe bring like my experience having seen it multiple times and then like try to maybe unpack it okay well after multiple youtube videos uh and, and then my own thoughts no i mean it's like you have this kind of thing where like the you have the kind of scientist who says like it looks like there is a creation of a new a new universe basically it's, it's occurring is that, that basically tetsuo is becoming this so it's, his energy is becoming so hard to control it just be it's it's essentially exploding in some way and kind of creating a whole new world around it which is apparently what kind of what happens at the beginning of the movie where it's Akira that does it, where it's he's blowing up and taking energy from elsewhere and bringing it into his kind of world. And so it kind of feels like Tetsuo does that and you end up kind of going into like a whole other like plane of existence in a way because that's it, the ending line is that of the I am Tetsuo. It's almost like the beginning of a new world in a way. Uh, and he it's in the in the kind of the center of his of Tetsuo's world. So I don't know if that's right. But uh, that's what I'm yeah, assuming. Yeah, you know, I had always interpreted it as though he maybe Akira, and I, I think at this point in the film, it's saying that Akira is God in the context of that God is energy, just pure, whether that's destructive, yeah. whether that's pure, con- pure energy. energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that Akira, yes. this energy comes and takes him away to create basically a universe where now, like, Tetsuo is basically his own kind of universe. Like he's such a massive, complex being that he's transcended his physical form because the physical human form, yeah. as we understand it, can't properly manifest that kind of power. And that's a way of like removing yeah. him where like he's in this kind of ethereal energy state where he can't hurt anyone in this form. Like he's just simply yeah. energy as we kind of understand it. And the film explains it a little mm-hmm. bit in the scene between Kay and Kyoko where they're in this cell together and they're talking about the creation of things and like the amoebas and planktons and like 
the way humans kind of evolve yeah. but like it's all kind of pertained to like this same life force energy that we're all made up of and so like that scene i think is a little underrated because i feel mm-hmm. like this is Otomo saying kind of what he is trying to say with it and it's you know it's a glanced over yeah. scene you know hell like we didn't even mention it in our favorite scenes and yeah like it kind of explains it yeah and I thought about mentioning it, but I was like, but right. Wait. But, uh, you know, it's funny because even though it's not, you know, the bike scene, it's not the dream sequence. It's not a visually captivating scene. It's arguably the most important in the sense that it explains the ending yes. to you as a viewer. And I it's, you know, and I think it goes back to what we were saying before. And I think we had maybe mentioned this before we started recording of like, you could do this in multiple viewings, right? You could do one viewing just to observe the visuals. Like the visuals almost, yeah, yeah. you can almost say this is something that doesn't work. Like the visuals are so overwhelming and are so good. You <laughs> actually miss the yeah. meaning of it itself, you know, because the visuals are such a yeah. massive spectacle that it, it's overwhelming. If it's a one-time viewing experience, I really don't think you can process mm-hmm. this whole thing because it does so many things so well and i think as a viewer you really don't know where to direct your attention to unfortunately so it's at that level of like it's so good it actually works against itself which is weird <laughs> to say about a movie and, yeah and, the, and that first yeah, watch but as yeah, a first yeah, yeah. Watch, of course and yeah i think yeah yeah to go back to kind of the ending of like everything is energy and like the way it kind of manifests and um the way things kind of move up through these evolutionary stages of even Mm -hmm. like the analogy of like the amoebas to planktons and like just this whole process of what we go through of like everything is still energy in and of itself and we have that same bond as creatures as living organisms i agree I, I, again, it's why again, as I said before, it's why it's why I need to I want to rewatch like again and kind of like really, it's why I would love to see on the big screen and hopefully I can uh, one it day. It really helped seeing it in the the cinema for sure. Um, it, right, just to have like a wider screen to like really absorb everything. Really, like it, it's one of those like you if you get the opportunity to see Akira in a theater, like that's a mm-hmm. movie that you you should really see because it really uses. Yeah, everything so well. I mean, you really need a bigger screen to really observe how much detail gets put in, put into this. Uh, last question I have is, <laughs> it's it's a joke question. Do the twenty twenty Olympics happen after Tetsuo consumes it at the end of the movie? I don't know. We had him. It was just a year yeah, later. Maybe maybe we're in the universe that is made up of Tetsuo. So Tetsuo is just energy in our universe. And so in our universe, yeah. we were able to have the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. Yeah, it was just 2021. And that was online. So apparently it was like, uh, um, when, 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 when Tokyo got it and got, got the 2020 Olympics in, in 2013, it was like, Oh snap, <laughs> it's Akira. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then when COVID happened, ever apparently there was like, I think in, in the movie, it says like they, they're, they're calling for a, uh, uh, cancel or, or, or cancellation of the Olympics 147 days out or whatever or something like that and so people were protesting on Twitter to get them to cancel it 147 days out I think just for the pure uh, joy of it being Akira um, so yeah but we'll move on to awards so awards this this will be a little bit different this time just because we can't fully judge it's a it's an anime film and so animation with acting is always kind of difficult to, to kind of judge uh and because in japanese i'm i'm not the best of, of judging 
Japanese voice acting. Um, so we're going to go with characters is kind of the main thing of how we're going to get these awards out. So the Beatrice Strait Award for character with limited scenes that kills it. Who do you have? Yeah, so when I my first like inclination is to go toward the colonel, but I think he has a little too many scenes to do yeah, this yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So I, I'm tempted to kind of go with, you could maybe go with Tetsuo's girlfriend, even though like it's so limited where I keep forget her character, but for her to kind of be at the beginning and kind of be this kind of grounded kind of rock for him, even though again, like, it's a very like, limited scene, which is, I guess the point yeah. of the award. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, she, she's kind of his, I agree with you. I think she's kind of his like humanity. And that's when she spoiler alert, when she dies, it's, it's, it's kind of the death of his humanity in a way um, that he kind of kills one of the things that truly loves him in some way, right. which is, which is, which would, it's a, it's the definition of a tragedy um and kind of what, ha- what what happens when you're overtaken by your obsession or in this case this body horror this this mutation um so yeah yeah a cowrie uh i believe is how you pronounce her name but yeah I, that's i agree with you because i said earlier like you could easily do this as a movie from her perspective if you wanted to but it's from a it's not it's from the best friend perspective um and she has again like i said she's she's gone for an hour she's gone for it feels like an hour um and she does have a lot of good scenes with him like the one like at the fence and kind of just like uh um the the ending scene when she's like kind of noticing his changing with the metal arm and and kind of all that so yeah i would go with her cowrie for for beatrice straight i'm cool with that all right annie potts x-factor award uh supporting character that is the most memorable I really got to go with my man, the Colonel. That man I mean, deals with so much bullshit throughout this whole movie. I mean, you've mm-hmm. got one, you know, just the dealings of being in the military in general. You've got this mad scientist who is letting Tetsuo progress or almost regress, you know, depending on how you interpret it. And then on top of that, you know, he gets fired for being like the only seemingly sane person in this entire movie. And then on top of that, he gets fired and then basically just unfires himself. Unfires so much, yeah, <laughs> by, by getting his, his like underlings and then convincing them all like, yo, let's overthrow the government. Um, and they're like, you know, he's right. We probably should. So, yeah. And then I like Colonel. And then on top of that, he's also got to deal with Tetsuo. I mean, this man gets just a trifecta of bullshit throughout and he is somehow maintaining his sanity throughout all of this. And so props to him yeah this guy has a lot on his plate i mean he probably has like a wife and kid at home <laughs> like he's having to deal with like and and he's probably just getting phone calls he's like i can't deal with it now um yeah let's go colonel i think shikshima um apologize that name was also butchered but yeah go with colonel for the uh any Potsex factor award all right final final award of the of the of the episode gene hackman mvp award uh the person who carries the movies could be director character whomever yeah, I thought about this one quite a bit, and I think it's also kind of changed like as we've kind of talked through this film a lot more, but I really think it should go to Otomo. For someone mm-hmm. who wrote this, insisted on having creative control with this project, to maintain the story, to push for all the things that he probably had to do to get this art style and the animation to work 
for really all throughout like it's hard to you know there are obviously like really big scenes that are well animated but there's not a scene in this that's animated poorly like the yeah. everything is executed so well and it's easy and like especially some animated films where you can tell where they put the budget and where they didn't and they maintain such good consistency even in like dialogue scenes i mean there's things that are just done well or at least nothing is done glaringly wrong and to be able to balance cinematography or i guess art style if in the context of animation to balance mm-hmm. out the characters to have this haunting score that is had throughout mm-hmm. the film and to still maintain all of the social commentary that he originally intended with this story and to fit it yeah. into a film because this is a massive saga of a manga yeah. and to be able to do all of that and to have the impact that this film still has on animation in general I mean, mm-hmm. for everything that's done well, and for him to maintain his vision like this and for it to still be talked about today, I think it really has to go to him. Yeah, and being as too, like, it's essentially, like, it's essentially his directorial debut as a full film. Like, he, he had done, looks like he did, like, segments and other, like, kind of video packages or something. But, like, this is the his first, like, di- directorial debut. So, like, and because it's his, like, vision from the manga to that, like, rarely do you see kind of that transition happened where this thing you created you become you're the sole creator in, in all mediums basically is what it is and that and that's a that's a hard feat and almost an a it's an a rare feat uh for sure um so yeah so we'll go with tomo for the gene hackman mvp award uh final questions if this was if this was made today in live action film who would you cast and right now they are Taika Waititi is supposed to be making a movie for it. It's not. I don't know if it's happening or not happening. It's being tossed. Around. Apparently, they've been trying to make this for years. Like I think. I think I read that. I read one point they tried to make it in the 1990s, and then I've also read that Warner Brothers got the rights in 2002 and have been trying to make it ever since then. Um, so there have been yeah there have been like worries about like whitewashing and kind of like changing the race of characters and even like trying to change it outside of Japan, um, which I think is stupid because, like, as we talked about earlier, like, Japan and the culture of Japan, the history of Japan is very important to the story. Um, so my my suggestion is that for all the kids' characters, because I don't really know Japanese kid actors uh, to put in these lead roles, so I, I'm going to try to go with some of the kind of... Uh, the older characters like the Colonel and the, and the doctor, if I can do the, if I can f- figure out some for the doctor, I think for the Colonel, I would do, uh, like Ken Watanabe is who I might pick from inception and, um, some like Nolan's or Nolan stuff. Cause he's a guy I think would do very well, uh, as like kind of a, a, authoritarian kind of character yeah in a way i th- I, th- I think he works incredibly well um for for this so yeah i, w- I would say ken wanabi for the colonel role um because the, the scientist kind of has a very kind of we didn't talk about him that much but he has kind of a meaty a meaty role and i wonder yeah i'm not sure who would do for who do for the scientist like i, I thought about um takashi katana but he he also could be a good um uh a good um 
colonel, but he also did comedic, comedic kind of stuff. And I don't know if it's the scientist comedic, but it's kind of a, I don't know. It could be interesting. I, I, I know for sure, at least Ken Watanabe, I want as a colonel. And if that's all we get name wise, screw it. That's all we get because the movie's Akira. Like it's all about the story here. And I think the IP, like I think you can, I think you can easily get away with casting mostly unknown or casting specifically Japanese actors. Yeah, I um, think if you get the right director in the seat, I think you in the the right director and the story is strong enough. I think you can get really strong performances that you need out of the actors for this. Like, there's so much material here to work with from a performer's perspective. Yeah, I agree completely. So cool. Uh, so let's see what we have next. Uh, does this film fit with any other genres besides? the body horror genre we're discussing this month for so we've touched on sci-fi uh, i don't know that dystopia is really a sub-genre of post sci-fi a, po- or if it's yeah, a, yeah, just a yeah. setting at this point yeah, but it feels I, like post-apocalyptic is so common that it's becoming a more established sub-genre no, i agree with that i think i think it's definitely a post-apocalyptic uh movie it's definitely a sci-fi film you could put in maybe it, a kind of government conspiracy or a, maybe almost a conspiracy film with it i think with yeah, just like the conflict of government military and science and here's a weird one is it a coming of age movie hmm i have net gosh if someone would have gosh i've never contemplated akira as being coming of age <laughs> i'm now like trying to like go through like coming of age month that we did and i'm like is it i'm just I, i'm i'm tossing it out because it's two friends they're like uh, they're teenagers it's like one's losing the other to kind of become a different person both of them become different in some way based off the loss of the of the other in their relationship it's it's very it's stretching it i know and it's a very abstract view of the coming of age um movie but you could you, you could if you really pushed it yeah and i mean all of you know tetsuo's problems are very teen problems yeah, in some ways it's exactly I mean, it's like he yeah it's something is happening to him it's against puberty it's like something is changing with him and he's like i don't know how to feel about this uh and then he gets really excited um <laughs> as he becomes like this new being uh, I don't know. I think it could be. I think. I think it's a coming of age. I think that's what he was trying to say the entire time. So Akira is really just a film about puberty. It's really about <laughs> puberty. Yes, <laughs> I think it is. I think it's. I think it's definitely. I think it definitely is. Until and yeah, and then he becomes a man and just like ruins everything. But yeah, uh, I mean, this is kind of a subgenre of sci-fi and it's like cyberpunk is kind of a thing. This kind. That's kind of a genre. Uh, in its own way so it, i think it definitely it all fits into that it kind of has all these different a- action if you want to do that um so yeah i think it's it's all these different things uh and final question how does this film fit within the genre we're discussing this month and that is the body horror genre right so kind of going into some of the kind of tropes and cliches and i think that you and thomas have kind of touched on this month of fighting for one's humanity and dealing with this kind of invasion or force that enters one's body and the physical and mental mm-hmm. disruptions that come mm-hmm. with that. And in that process of like processing this new invasion of the body, there's also an obsession to kind of go back to the way things were. And, you know, in the context of Akira, you know, you with, I think that's different from other kind of body horror films 
you get all of this like the debt kind of gets shuffled like toward the end like you get all of it kind of yeah. toward the end so it feels kind of stacked in a way which i think is yeah. a little different from what you guys have probably talked about yeah yeah i mean yeah i think it's like if if you turn that ending into a live action ending that shit's crazy like plain and simple like that's just like it's gonna be these like huge muscles that are like just going out and like creating this whole other kind of being and creature essentially like that would be ungodly to see and we kind of it's like, it's kind of in there with slither because we talked about slither last week thomas and me and there's moments where it's just like it's just like like a flesh like it's a flesh ball basically and and with muscles and veins and all these different things and that's what tetsu turns into and but it's been there it's been there mentally kind of pushing along the entire time it's almost like that's all that's been happening to him always in the inside as he's gaining these powers and then finally the idea is that when his arm gets kind of cut off or whatever at the end like that's his kind of weak point so everything gets released from it is what it is and so it's finally everything's coming out and so i think that ending and a lot of body horror films do that where it's a lot of just other stuff and then that final third act, it's like, oh, this is a body horror movie. And so that's why I think this fits very well is because of that final third act where it just like it shifts to that where it creates a very horrific image that deals with the body of this physical disruption. And it's about this character losing his humanity um, or trying to gain his humanity and then eventually loses his humanity. Um, that's all. That's all the body horror. Genre. That's a Cronenberg film. That's everything. And this is like it's just like you said, it's very packed in on that back 30 minutes um that makes people think and, and i think also two people think because it's anime and these other different things that it's not a body horror but it definitely has the traits of what a body horror film is right yeah i think it's it's interesting that you know to fit in the body horror genre into so many other genres the way that this the body horror stuff gets shuffled in and like these last kind of like the finale and like the ending um it's an interesting mm-hmm. way I, I guess to do it right because i'm so used to something yeah. like the thing where it's this progression that i kind of see throughout that's why i was yeah. like i was almost skeptical to pitch it to you i was like well like i mean it's got a body horror scene and then like you were telling me like here's some like the tropes that we've identified with it I'm yeah like, oh it hits it, all yeah. those like I mean, yeah. on top of all the other shit that this film does, it yeah, also yeah, yeah. does body horror. Like, I mean, yeah. it, what does this film not have, you know? It's coming of age. Like, it's a lot of different things. So, yeah, if you haven't seen it, go watch. It's currently on Hulu as we're recording. Um, so, yeah, I think that's it on Akira. Make sure you subscribe to the Nation Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, make sure you write us a review on whatever platform you listen to the show on. These reviews tremendously help us. They help us kind of figure out how you guys like the show if we need kind of like kind of changed up a little bit if need be but we also just it also helps kind of people find us at the visibility um like we move up the list on apple podcast if we get more reviews um more downloads happen and and so just you taking a, a few seconds it could just be a very short one sentence and five stars don't forget the five <laughs> stars um to us is it will help us tremendously and we greatly appreciate it um and yeah and make sure you, if you haven't already make sure you like us on facebook twitter instagram all that jazz again jonathan thanks for coming back on glad to have you thank you man always a pleasure thank you and thank you all for listening we hope you listen to more episodes soon 